Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. And joining us today from Polygon.com and the Besties and the Resties is Chris Plant. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I actually have another thing to plug. Are you ready oh, for this? Yeah. Oh, news yeah. drop. A newsletter is back. Patch notes at Polygon is a new newsletter at Polygon that collects uh, the best stuff of the week, and you can check it out. I'm launching it so you can get some of this, you know, delightful flavor from the top. But then I'll be handing over the car keys to like the rest of the family. Cool. um, Over the next few months. Where can people find that? Uh, They can. Well, right now you can go to Polygon.com on your phone in any page, and there will be an obstructive little bar at the bottom <laughs> that will strongly encourage you to to subscribe so oh, yeah. uh, pretty pretty easy to find at this yeah. very moment i will say that i really liked mm. the newsletter that you were running for a while at one point and I'm, I'm very excited to have a new newsletter from you that seems thank you like it has a similar vibe but from polygon and the whole team <laughs> i don't think i ever talked about it publicly but it, that, that newsletter was destroyed by the car crashing through my house which i think i talked about on the last episode mm-hmm. maybe i didn't i don't know but whatever it was wow if people want to know what kills a newsletter it's either like being bored or a car crash an entire automobile not quite literal yeah. car yeah it's one or the other i'm so sorry that happened um hey you know what you live and you learn <laughs> i mean <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry to laugh what else could you do <laughs> um, anyway well that's very exciting um yes a, another a, a plug of our own as well just wanted to give a quick shout out to um our intrepid producer aj has a podcast called asynchronous uh with our good friend kim from frog of the week uh and that show has just joined our network uh which is very exciting so Hell if you yeah. are a member of the discord uh which is uh, available at the worst online uh you will see a bunch of new stuff in there uh, involving asynchronous go listen to that show steve and i are on the first episode of the new season all about mass effect one which is very exciting aj has never played it before i saw somebody in the discord describe it as an audio let's play and like man that's very exciting as a just as a concept. Yeah, I think totally. that's a really fun way of pitching that show. That rules. But uh, yeah, go listen to Asynchronous. Um, you can find it at the worst garbage online. There's a link to it there. Uh, it's it's a good show. And you should subscribe now because I'm going to be a guest on it. Which <gasps> AJ might cut this from it. it <laughs> he might cut it. But if he doesn't, you know the truth now. Yeah. So uh, that's all the plug. That's all the plugs. I'm done. I'm out of here. Get out. I get the it. plugs out of here. <laughs> Uh, we're in the real world now. The The Matrix does not have us. Finally. I'm unplugged, <laughs> baby. Uh, look, we, we have assembled here because there is uh, probably, I would say, uh, maybe top three biggest game of the year, if I were to guess, uh, dropped this week. And boy, have I played a lot of it. Uh, Chris, you've mm. been playing a lot of it in, in uh, an interesting way that I want to talk about. Steven, I know, has been playing a lot of it. Uh, it is Elden Ring by From Software. And... Uh, I'll just say it. It's great. <laughs> it's a great game. I'm really excited to talk about it. I haven't been this like giddy to record an episode in a really long time. Yeah, this is one of those games. If you need any kind of elevator pitch sell of it, this is like the first game in a very long time where I, I suddenly realized it was 3 a.m. Like one of those games that like yeah, actually throws yes. off your sleep schedule. It's really amazing. And Chris, I'm really interested to hear your time with it because I know you haven't really been into FromSoft games in the past. 
So I'm really curious, like why you've also been enjoying Elden Ring and like what's clicking with you. And and also, you know, I want to explore like what the games in the series prior to this have like focused on and what's kind of led us here. Yeah, I, I that sounds great. I mean, going off your thing of, you know, oh, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. I don't have that because I like have to go to sleep. But I, <laughs> my, 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 my equivalent is I, I monitor all the time that I spend with any media that I consume. And mm-hmm. I put it in a spreadsheet because I'm a dork. And this is the first time where I've had to actually turn on a stopwatch because like Usually I like start and I'm like, oh yeah, I know how long I've been playing. Mm-hmm. And then the a couple days ago, I was like, I really don't know. And yeah. I had to like work <laughs> backwards from it. And then uh, today I was playing uh, and my son was out of the house for the first time in a while. And I had all the time in the world and four hours just passed. But I, I thought it was like an hour. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which is like a big difference in terms yes. of perception versus reality. Yes. Which weirdly ties into the game's like whole world, too, which is kind of scary. <laughs> like yeah. It has yeah. that effect on us, too. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that uh, we're going to start this episode with a kind of like as spoiler free as possible section and then talk a little bit more in depth about the stuff that we've been experiencing because... There's a lot. But that having been said, I know that people are, I'll say it, people are weird about the way spoilers work with FromSoft stuff. So if you don't want anything at all spoiled at all about Elden Ring, I mean, something's going to slip while we're talking. Maybe skip this one uh, unless you've played a little bit of the game and feel more comfortable listening to an episode that's purportedly spoiler free. But uh, we're going to try our best out here until we make it very clear that we're not going to try at all. It's a good point to make, though, because if I were to say like what the singular element of this game is, it's discovery. Like that's really like the key of most good open world games. But like this game's handling of like just like passing by the unknown and seeing things that like shock you and terrify you and intrigue you like that is to me what's pulling me through most. So like it really would probably be best to go in completely blind, like just yeah. like yeah. pick it up. If you're curious about it, explore, have your own time with it. And then if you want to come back to this later, that's probably a good move. But yeah, we're not going to. It's also like I don't have full confidence that I know anything about the lore yet. It's essentially <laughs> like a dream I half remember. Nobody will know until like the <laughs> the person on YouTube, you know, like yes. four months from now, yeah. releases the lore video that's eight hours long. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to Vati Video on YouTube. <laughs> He's the guy. Two, two questions for what you were saying about spoilers that I, I would encourage people to keep in mind. If you haven't played any of these games, feel very comfortable just listening to this episode because <laughs> like we'll talk about this later, but I am convinced that a lot of the pleasure of FromSoft games is knowing the language or like knowing how to talk with the game. Mm. And if you haven't learned that yet, it actually behooves you to like know kind of how it sure, engages yeah. with the player beforehand. And, and then on the other hand, I would say for like, I guess like the real people who would maybe want to miss this are the people who probably have already put 60 hours into it. Like, <laughs> it's like the, the most hardcore fans who like, who know that language because for me, like the best surprises, I mean, the environments and all that stuff is cool, but the game really like sticks with me when it's like, oh, I expect it to do this thing because mm-hmm. I know the language of it. 
and then it does something totally completely swerves. different. And like yeah. that's where I'm like, oh, I would hate to have that spoiled for me. Mm. Anyway, I, I I would hate for um, newcomers to miss this because I, I think the game can actually wreck you if you don't have like a little bit of knowledge going in. I did have a realization about FromSoft in particular that I, makes it even more interesting that you specifically, Chris, have gotten into this one. Yeah. Which is that I think that FromSoft and their library as a whole weirdly mirrors the way Monster Hunter has always worked, where Monster yeah. Hunter is most exciting if you already know how to play one and then you pick one up on launch day and you get to play it with a bunch of people who also know how they work. And maybe you're like teaching a friend or two how it works. But generally speaking, if you already know how to play Monster Hunter, every Monster Hunter release is like just exhilarating. And I know you are not a Monster Hunter fan yeah. Yeah. for that reason. FromSoft, I think, is kind of exactly the same in a weird way. In the off time between FromSoft releases, if you pick them up and learn how to play them, by the time a new one comes out, you're going to be so wildly in love to be part of that community at the moment that that thing drops. Uh, so I'm, I'm very curious about your experience with this one. I have a theory about that, mm. which is my arc with FromSoft games is the arc of playing an individual FromSoft game. Which is to say, like, every one of these games is about, oh, you lose and you lose and you fail and you fail. And then mm -hmm. gradually you learn and then you, like, find the pleasure, right? And that's, yeah. like, the, the arc on, like, an individual enemy all the way to a boss, all the way to a full game, all the way to, like, all the series, right? Yeah. Just, it's like Mario in that way. <laughs> like, it's, it's <laughs> no, one defining sure. arc yeah. that is just stretched out. Yeah. And I have played every FromSoft game. I mean, well, not, I mean, every modern. I didn't play, like, the Kingsfield games. And I've made it, like different degrees into each of them you know mm. some of them i put in like three or four hours some of them i've made it probably like 15 to 20 mm. but eventually i get to the point where it's like okay this is just too challenging for me and i i think i like quite literally do not have the reflexes to play these games yeah and that said similar to monster hunter like because i had all that experience going into elden ring i like can love it so, like, one, it's more welcoming, sure, and it's more, like, approachable. But two, I, I talked about, like, knowing the language of the game. I really know the language of these games. Like, when it yeah. starts, I know exactly what class I need to pick. I know where to start putting my points. I know, like, what items I would want to favor. I know, like, to run. A, like, when I see, like, a life bar, I know, like, oh, this is hard, but I could probably beat it. Or, mm -hmm. like, no. Like, this just straight up is, like, not doable by me right now. Yeah. Or, like, running through, like, a, a map. Like, the, you know, sometimes actually the trick is to just, like, learn a circuit and then run past enemies because you, like, want to save resources. Yeah, totally. But all of those things are, like, never explained at all. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and that's a, that's a lot. Like, I just said, like, a lot of stuff. <laughs> To like not be explained. I think it's also like it's a great point of like they all have a language. I think it's similar to in that way to like Dragon Quest where there's like this kind of shared vernacular and vocabulary through all the games, but they're all like focusing on different things. Elden Ring feels almost like a conscious best of almost throwback to like all the things they've kind of cemented over the years. Cause like with the dark souls trilogy, like you have that like dark fantasy worlds and sort of, I know it started with demon souls, but dark souls feels like that was like the entry point. Like that was like sort of the dawn of this type of game. And I always saw dark souls one as like this kind of cosmic reflection of Skyrim where like Skyrim was kind of this power fantasy where everyone's like, Oh yeah, you're the hero. You're the chosen one. Here's an arrow. This is where you go. We're all happy. You're here. You're the best. <laughs> and then dark souls is 
like, you're a piece of shit, aren't you? <laughs> like, and I'm like, you're not told where to go and every, you just can't win. And it's, it's, it's more nuanced than that. But I think that like there weirdly was this like very special zeitgeist for Dark Souls when it came out. Cause it was, I'm not quite sure like how to put it into words. And, and that's kind of always been the struggle with these games is like, as a fan, how do you pitch it without it sounding terrible? Like, you know, like you said, it's like the, the pitch is this arc of like, getting used to failure. But what I've always really liked about these games is the strong atmospheric storytelling and almost the sort of Zen-like quality, which is kind of ironic to say, but like the way the game kind of yells at you that you're like, probably going to die a lot like you're not expecting anything else so when you do find victory it's like so earned and so special and that's a very subjective thing but that's like what I experienced when I first I I first played Dark Souls and like couldn't really get into it but Bloodborne I like sort of had that experience I had always heard about and then since then I've I've enjoyed all of them but all that to say I think Elden Ring like whereas uh, after the Dark Souls trilogy like Bloodborne was sort of like a specific style of play that was focused on and Sekiro was almost like an experiment by being more normal like it was more like okay here's an active story that you're living through and not hearing about you're playing as like a predefined character who is like the main character of this story right you're not switching your weapons you're not dumping ability points into decks and faith and intelligence and stuff like that (laughs) it's just like you just got your sword and good luck man so all that to say like when i you know when i exit the tutorial area of elden ring and i see like some snickering dude with a venetian mask i know exactly who he is and what he's going to offer me and it's (laughs) it's kind of like combining the mystery of the open world with like that baseline of familiarity with these types of games it really complements the other yeah Yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned Sekiro like that because it's just like blows my mind that Sekiro came before this because Sekiro to me is like they are the opposite ends of the spectrum Sekiro is okay, you are a worthless piece of shit. Um, you need to learn how to play the game exactly how we want you to play it. Yes. And if you don't, no treats for you. And <laughs> Elden Ring is like, you know what? I love you. I'm going to give you a hug. You're going to hurt, but mommy and daddy love you. And you should know that and carry that with you as you get dished out lots and lots of pain. I find it to be a like deeply loving and generous game, which is a weird, weird thing that I never thought I would say about a From Software game. Yeah, even some of the NPCs in a way are like much more, um, I would say much more appreciative of your place in the world than like ever before in any of yeah. these games that I've ever played. Like I, I'm thinking it's the closest to Bloodborne in a sense where Bloodborne is like you start off as a hunter in Yarnum. Everyone you talk to is like, dude, there are a lot of people who are hunters who try and survive this shit. Like you're not going to make it, but like give it your all, I guess, if you want to. But you're going to die the same way everybody else does. Elden Ring is kind of a similar thing. I don't really want to get into like the story and why, but people are like, actually kind of stoked that you're there and that you're trying your best because like the state of the world is so bad and i think steven you you bring up a great point that most of these games your place in the story is like the epilogue like you are doing the thing after all the cool shit 
has happened. Like all the big like Lord of the Rings fantasy stuff already went down a long time ago. And you're literally just like the husk kind of zombie making your way through. And Elden Ring it's is kind of like, like Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, that, that's actually not so unlike the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's actually like, true. Yeah. The thing has happened and now you are this one person and people are like, really? Yes. <laughs> like, you're, gonna, you're gonna go do a thing? I mean, like, sure. I guess <laughs> I, I I really, really, really am appreciating what's going on here just from like kind of an overall vibe perspective in terms of the story. And I don't know. It's, it's worth mentioning, like, yes, this was, you know, worked on by all the same people who have worked on the other games. Uh, but there is this kind of like lingering specter of maybe George R. R. Martin helped in some way, shape or form. <laughs> um, and my read on it, if I were to guess, is that he was involved with this game in the same way Yuji Hori from Dragon Quest was involved with Chrono Trigger, where like Yuji Hori mm. just kind of like wrote the scenario of Chrono Trigger and then just passed it off to everybody else. It was like, all right, you figure it out. Yeah. I, I wrote you like a, a spec script and you just fill in all the blanks. Um, and then all even the that seems generous. Like, yeah. I feel like he wrote like an email <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were like, this is a good email. Can we put your name on it? I had an idea for a ring that was so fucking old. OK, we got it. Actually, you're good. That's it. Thank you. Do yeah. You want your name in the credits? OK, cool. You got it. Yeah, the most like I'm not super familiar with with his work, but I feel like the most it felt like him was the like intro narration. Where it's like, yes, we are so pumped to share the history of this world with you, but it means nothing right now. Like that <laughs> that section <laughs> felt very like they were like so pumped. I mean, it's very cool. I was all in. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the NPCs and that's always been my favorite element of these games is like returning to a place and like seeing a character that you've like always seen there, maybe a merchant or maybe someone who just like told you to go left and like something's different or they might say something new. Mm -hmm. Like I think Bloodborne, the the guy who talks to you through the window, who's always coughing like that, that to me was like, yeah, weirdly the moment I fell in love with the game was like coming, like my own just natural desire to revisit that character that I couldn't even see. Just like make sure he was doing all right. Yeah. Right. And I was like rewarded for that. And that little story played out. And that's what I think like the narrative beauty of these games for me is sort of these like little stories happening that you can kind of miss, but like they're equal to finding a cool weapon or a cool item that's hidden away. Like they're, they're sort of like little like narrative treats for you. And I think your term uh, of loving for this game, Chris, is, is weirdly apt because like this has so much quality of life stuff that I don't think that's like a term that could even apply at all to pass from soft games like there are so many checkpoints and that's been my big gripe is like prior to Sekiro yeah. every Souls game like you would lose to the boss you would revive you would go for a short jog through a nightmare alley of enemies and then you get to the boss and it's like that really kind of wear it on my patience like why can't I just like spawn right before the fight like why can't I just yeah. like try again immediately and there's also like nothing like there are there are things to explore and there are hidden you know there there are multiple routes in these games prior to Elden Ring but it's it's not like you can explore that much more it's more like oh maybe there was a hallway you missed in Elden Ring if you're ever stuck at a boss you can just get on your horse and like go to another continent <laughs> like yeah. probably find a lot of cool stuff probably level up and there's so many more paths to improving yourself as well that's the big thing I think that's like what makes this game a little bit more welcoming if you have trouble 
digesting the mechanics or or whatever. And I to be to be clear, I do wish there were more accessibility options here. Like that's a big like blemish on this game, I think, that there aren't really uh any as far as I can tell. Yeah, there's none. There's zero. It's pretty fucked up. But at, at the same time, the fact that like you can improve your character by simply exploring, finding stuff, crafting better weapons, leveling up in a meaningful way. Like leveling up always felt like an in-game joke in the past games where it's like (laughs) I completely agree. I increase my blood flow and I don't see or feel different. Uh, Whereas in this game, it's like I I feel it more. I see it more. And there's just more to find and to experiment with. And that way, it definitely feels like they've taken a lot from Breath of the Wild and honestly a lot from Skyrim too. Like I feel that it's as close to a power fantasy as these types of games can be. But as soon as you feel cool, there's of course some giant in the distance shooting a bow and arrow at you so like don't get too (laughs) cocky but um yeah i I think just allowing for multiple paths to success and allowing for like just changing up what you're doing it makes the world of a difference it's it's really huge even for me like a lifelong fan of these games yeah i I think the um you mentioned like the stats being like a joke in the previous games and in general this game it feels like um I don't know, like having a, a bad toxic relationship where like the, the expectations have been just set so low for so long that like I'm actually shocked when the game isn't mean to me. And yes. I, and I again, mm. I mentioned like loving. Maybe that's not even that third word. It's like actually just normal <laughs> to me, <laughs> like meets my expectations. But there are so many times in previous FromSoft games where it'd be like, who I don't know, like this woman wants to give me a hug. That's probably bad. I probably shouldn't accept it. But in this game, you get a hug and it's like, oh, you get like small little upgrade. And there's like a very minor debuff until you use that upgrade. And that's it. No no yeah. long term punishment where it feels like if there would like somebody to offer you a hug in like Dark Souls or Demon Souls. It'd be like, OK, congratulations. Hope you're happy with your hug. Uh, the game is now 10 percent harder and you can't yes. undo it. <laughs> And we've deleted your save file. Yeah. <laughs> in Dark Souls 3, I mean, I guess slight spoiler, but there's like a character who offers you a drink and then you like become withered like the minute you take a sip. It's just like, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I I like those moments where I'm like tense, but it is nice. Okay, like it's not gonna, I'm not gonna be totally caught off guard by what's happening in a way that feels annoying, but I am gonna be caught off guard just by like the wonder I'm experiencing. And honestly, like this might sound kind of trite, but I feel like because the genre of fantasy is so popular and like there's so many games that say they're fantasy, but they kind of adhere to like what Mm. you expect. The weirdness of this game is so welcome and it really feels fantastic. Like, by the truest definition, yeah. like I'm constantly just struck by the enemies. And I think it's it helps that they start you off kind of normal. Like it reminds me too of Sekiro in that way. Or Sekiro, like the first couple hours of that game, I was like, are we just going to be fighting humans? So that's cool. It's a, a weirdly kind of an experiment from these games. And then you meet like some terrifying creature later on. And yeah. this game kind of one ups that where I'm constantly learning and seeing creatures that like I can never imagine. Uh, truly, it's really wonderful yeah. in that way. Yeah, I, uh, I I feel like that. Yeah, that Sekiro and Bloodborne, I think, kind of have this like slow ramp up environmentally speaking of like you start Bloodborne and you kind of have an idea of what's going on here, right? Like you're a hunter, you're making your way through yarn. I'm like, there's a curse, there's werewolves. Ooh, it's scary. And then at a certain point, the game takes like this cosmic nightmare twist and just kind of like ramps up the horror of what's happening around you and into areas that are like difficult to describe with words which i think is really like a special thing and sekiro kind of 
follows a similar pattern where you start off just kind of like reliving experiences or making your way through just like normal kind of villages where, you know, yes, you're a samurai, but you're also fighting a bunch of like samurai adjacent dudes and it slowly ramps up into like beasts and mythology and stuff like that. And that's really, really wonderful. And I feel like Elden Ring, I think you're right, is like trying to do a similar thing. I I have played 30 hours of Elden Ring so far. Um, (laughs) Same. The exact same amount. Yeah. Uh, Five on one character and then 25 on another. But I the stuff (laughs) that I've seen compared to where you begin is like actually shocking. Like it is really shocking some of the directions that this game chooses to go. I will talk more about maybe some of these places and spoilers, but like, yeah, what 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 classes are you? What class are you playing? I'm playing. I started as the knight. I played for five hours as the knight. And then I, I actually want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, but I switched to the wretch, which is like the shittiest, wow. worst. Yeah starting class possible you start at level one all your stats are exactly i think all your stats are 10 uh to start and you have no clothes and you have a club and there was a discussion that was happening in the discord about like what starting class everybody gonna pick and the discussion eventually veered towards pretty much everybody in our entire uh elden ring channel choosing the wretch and for like the best reason and i i am so on board with this if you haven't picked up elden ring yet i highly recommend considering you know you don't have to pick it but consider the wretch consider the wretch consider, consider the wretch, the wretch. Um, my favorite short story yes I, the thing about the wretch is that because you start with absolutely nothing and your stats are like actually kind of fine even though you're level one what it means is that you're playing this game in the most like nightmarish breath of the wild way possible where literally every object that you find is so helpful like if you start as the samurai that sword that you start with is so good and you're just going to want to upgrade that your armor is so cool that you're never going to want to pick up anything or use anything else. As the wretch, I started with literally a loincloth and a big <laughs> stick. So everything has been exhilarating. Like literally everything I've picked up has been like a moment of like deep consideration. Do I want to add this to my build? Is this going to affect my weight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also just being able to like explore all of my options and build yeah. my character exactly as I want from the bottom has been so rewarding in a way that I've never really experienced in these games. What did you evolve into? Because eventually like the wretch, I imagine, evolves into one of those other classes. Yeah, kind of. Um, Yeah, I'm at the moment focusing a lot on um, strength and dexterity, but I've dumped a little bit into into faith specifically for the summons. Uh, And also I have one really good spell that I found uh, at one point in my like catacomb digging uh, that I immediately was like, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I can equip this. Uh, So I have I have one spell, one really good summon one extremely good sword and a tortoise shell as a shield and i just feel so (laughs) rad at all times Part two of this episode is going to be very good. Yeah. I'm already, I'm already <laughs> looking forward to the the gift that you're going to give future me. Uh, Steven, what are you, who are you playing as? I'm playing as a bandit, which I feel like is the like 90s edgy cool version of the wretch. Because it's like, <laughs> sure. I like the idea of starting a character who is not like of medieval nobility in any way. And, and more mm-hmm. practically, I like a dex focused character. I like characters that are fast and can roll around, especially in these types of games. Yes. So I'm with the bandit and i've been very happy with that so far but yeah if you want to start with like a cool mask and not a loincloth the bandit is <laughs> is the the gentleman's wretch if you will <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you start with the buckler what else do you want what about i'm you, always impressed how you come up with titles of the episode like five <laughs> or six of them <laughs> In a row. It's just incredible. 
I'll say too, while we're in non-spoilers, I think this game handles magic and archery significantly better than prior games. Really? Oh, yeah. I do think they learned a lot from Sekiro because Sekiro introduced verticality in a really big way. So like, I think that that game's focus on stealth and on kind of platforming, I think has really helped the transition to an open world here because like, at least for me and how I've been playing, stealth is a really big part of how I navigate these yeah. places. But I've never like... I've always found magic to be it's it's almost too similar to D&D where magic sounds really cool. But then you have to like open up a textbook and be like, OK, I can only use this like when I'm 50 feet away. It's it's just yeah. like I just want oh, yeah. more access to it. But here they've done a nice balance of like going back to like this feeling like fantasy, like really weird and actually fantastic. Magic also feels like that and that it's like something that's kind of beyond our control in some ways. Ah. Um, but it's still easier to like understand how to use it than in past games at least for me i'm i'm a magical boy i'm an astrologer <laughs> astrologer named joan um basically just i wanted to role play as joan of arc hell yeah in this world. Oh, perfect yeah and it is it's so good it, it, i love when you when you play like kind of an open-ended rpg like this because mm-hmm. this is still kind of weirdly an rpg yeah and you totally. choose like oh i'm gonna role play as this character and then everything comes together just so um <laughs> and yeah well i'll save i'll save my stuff about my my class for the second half because i think it's kind of impossible to talk about mm. the astrologer without like getting both in terms of lore and in terms of like weapons interesting without getting into like major spoilers okay uh, the only thing that i'd say is i i think it's a great beginner's class i i, I find it much easier because you can like cheese people <laughs> but uh but also just the story of the astrologers in this game it is bonkers it's so good and like i cool. i have been skeptical of all the dark souls lore explainer videos in the past mm. like not, not skeptical in a mean way like i'm sure they're good but it's like i try to watch them and i'm like ah i don't know mm. but this um, once i saw what they were doing with it i was like i can't believe i picked the right class <laughs> so much of this game is invested into these characters like so much of the world that you see is invested in the astrologer class and it's like it was such a cool surprise that was the class I was most tempted by for many reasons. Um, and it's I guess it's kind of similar to Pyromancer because that was like the kind of most beginner friendly Dark Souls class. But without saying too much about this game's story, I do find it really fascinating how every FromSoft game is like very interested in similar ideas. And I'm really impressed by the fact that like they don't veer too far from like familiar territory but it's always a really cool and interesting take on a really kind of broad idea so i I think it doesn't spoil too much to say that like every one of these games is very like focused and interested in sort of a purgatorial existence yeah and Mm -hmm. i feel like sekiro was a game that was largely about like what are the dangers and evils of immortality is being immortal a good thing the answer is no and here's why (laughs) and bloodborne was largely about like hubris and like this group of people that wanted to sort of ascend and be more than human and ironically become beasts in that process. Very classic, like Jekyll and Hyde stuff. Yeah. This game feels like it is in conversation with similar things, but on a much broader scope with more immediate detail. So while in prior games, a lot of it is open to interpretation. And I I remember seeing that um, Miyazaki, the the creative lead on these games, he said uh, in an interview that like when he was growing up, he would go 
go to the library and he didn't know English very well at the time. So he would read these books in English and just like understand what he could read and then imagine the rest, which weirdly kind of informs how these games stories are told where you're given like little bits and pieces and then it's up to you. And I think I, I think there's also like a lot of the YouTube videos of like this explained. And that's always sort of a reductive thing. But I think that with a lot of the Dark Souls stuff, the beauty of those games narratively is that it's a little bit open to interpretation. But here it feels a little bit more concrete. So actually I would be more open to hearing like someone's take on what's like in here as the text, if you will. Kind of Yeah, thing. I have like an OK idea of what's going on from a story perspective at this point. And it's the most engaged I've ever been narratively with one of these games before. Like I've I've watched all those lore videos about all of these games and they're all like interesting, but I, I never know where they pick that information up, like even reading <laughs> item descriptions and like knowing, right. you know, who the characters are and who the bosses are and things like that. I'm always so confused as to where that information even came from uh, because there's so many blanks being filled in and this game actually feels like it has kind of a more concrete thing going on and I think I don't know how far in you've gotten Stephen but like the first bit of the main quest is pointing you in a direction towards a castle that has a bunch of stuff going on in it and by the time I finished everything that there was to do in that castle I was like I know exactly who I am my place in the world what my quest is supposed to be who I've gone up against and why I've gone up against them and what to do next and that is like more information than i've ever had from soft game <laughs> so, I, I don't i don't know if this counts as spoilers i don't i don't think this is because i guess i want to ask like what is going on <laughs> because here, here, here's my read again 30 yes. hours into the game i know a lot about what's going on with my class with the astrologers um or the mages basically is what they mm. are but with the main story what i glean is I am in a pan-European mythological universe. It's like they took like mythology from Ireland and like the Vikings and mm-hmm. it's like all over the place. Yeah. Um and there is a family bloodline and I need to destroy it. Like yes. every piece of that lineage. And if I destroy it, there are two giant fingers who will make me the Elden King. I think, and I'm sure this is wrong. I'm saying it now, not as like a boast, uh, because obviously- You're not super far off, Chris. I'm, I'm trying to get it down on paper now so I can listen to it. You know, I'll come back and listen to this episode uh, five months from now, whenever I finish this game, and I'll be like, oh, what a, what a moron. But is that is that like the general gist? Yeah, I, I think I think I was a little bit iffy about how much we should talk about this pre-spoilers, but I think it's worth knowing because what, what I do want to kind of veer into a little bit is like the the classic question that we always ask about from soft stuff, like, should this be your first game, et cetera, et cetera. It's worth knowing like what the bones of the story are going into yeah. a game before you pick it up. You're not super far off. I mean, you're pretty close to what's going on here. Essentially, uh, again, just going to talk v- very lightly about lore, but the way the world worked was that there was kind of this like golden order uh, and, and it involved, as you were saying, this like kind of just uh, lineage that was born of gods. They're all kind of like demigods, essentially. And all of them are like corrupt and hate each other. You know, classic like e- yeah. e- Greek Roman God kind of shit. And essentially just like had a huge, gigantic war to fight one another for power that they all had already. And because they're all demigods with like essentially the same amount of power and influence, they just like had a draw, like a five way draw, like nobody won. They just left the world in such a state of ruin that there's really like not much you can do to come back. And they're all just kind of like sitting in their little castles thinking like, "Ooh, that was sad. I wish that I had won this war. (laughs) 
And ever since then, essentially, the people that we're playing as, they're called the Tarnished in this game, very similar to like every other FromSoft game, Yeah, are, are these beings that exist purely to like essentially wrest power from these five lords and say like, you did such a horrible fucking job running this place. You've destroyed the world and we need to give it back to the people essentially. Uh, and we're going to do that by taking this power back. And you sensibly for the, maybe the first time in a FromSoft game are like kind of chosen one adjacent. Like, yes, you're one of many trying to do this thing, but I think a lot of the NPCs, at least that I've met, recognize that there's something different about us as as the player character um, and that we have the best chance probably of becoming the Elden Lord and like taking that power back. And that that I think that's it's not necessarily a chosen one for me as much as it's like they recognize your success. Yes. At the beginning, they think you are like a schmuck. You're absolutely right. Yes. And then yeah. gradually some people are like, hey, that's unusual. And then there are, I would say, more advanced um, members of the nice folks that you meet who are like, no, <laughs> like, congratulations, yeah. you've done one impossible thing. There are still four more impossible. Yeah, things <laughs> there's a single line of dialogue that I think kind of is a microcosm of that sentiment and also the game's attitude towards the player. And I won't say who it is because we're not in spoilers, but someone tells you, I have high hopes for you. I'm sick of them. <laughs> and I don't know if that's referring to the high hopes or to the follow up sentence, but I love that as a combined thing. Like I'm rooting for you and I fucking hate it, <laughs> which is a very confusing emotion, but I love it. So I, I just want to make a quick statement just about this game as like a first Souls game or like a first like FromSoft Miyazaki directed game for people, because uh, there have been a lot of people at least asking me like in my personal life and also like through the discord and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of conversations about this online, obviously, like, oh, I've never played a FromSoft game before. Is this my first one? Should I give it a shot? My like quick answer to that, honestly, is I feel very strongly that the community aspect of these games, especially around launch, is one of the most exhilarating and exciting things about it because people are so spoiler averse and FromSoft knows that like their PR, and their marketing is like pretty well aware of that as well, that that's like the kind of community that plays their games. What it means is that at launch, there is just this really thrilling air of discovering that is happening at all times and the amount of like phone calls and conversations and like text threads that I've had with friends and people all over the place about this game over the past couple of days has been like so thrilling and so rewarding and feels so good and that will start to fade slowly and if you feel like that would be a cool and exciting thing for you as well then like yes this is maybe the first one to pick up because really at the end of the day you're just gonna have to bang your head against one of them until you make your way through the wall and once you do that they'll all be like at least pretty good yeah my second choice would be dark souls one because it's like the cheapest and available on the most platforms that's 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 the sad answer <laughs> yeah i i think i i think this is like the easy 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 win because you can cheat as much as you want <laughs> and like and you should yeah. like the, you, it cheats like not even the right word but this game like is totally okay with the idea that you break it and like i don't yeah. think that's true of the other games where they are metroidvanias um which i, I mean steven you were while you were talking earlier that kind of hit me of like oh that's why i don't finish the games because <laughs> i don't actually enjoy that genre which is a yeah. very new epiphany in my life um, <laughs> which is unusual for somebody who's been playing video games for decades but this game like it gives you so much choice to to effectively like break it so there are 
characters that you can find in like the they call them legacy dungeons like the really important dungeons with the big bosses you can find a character in each of them that's like an npc that will help you beat the big boss and then anytime against any bosses there's a like ghost characters of which you will collect many of them and some of them can be upgraded that Mm -hmm. you can launch into the world and then there is your friends which is like common in any of the from soft games who can come in and then if you're a mage there are corners in the environment where they can't reach you (laughs) and you can just cheese the shit out of them and just like win by doing that and then most importantly if you get to a point and you're like hey you know what this isn't fun anymore you just go to a different spot and go have fun so you don't have to do the grind that people did in the past you just go have a nice time make sure to upgrade your character and then you go back and this is like literally what happened on this four-hour session i was at a boss that i was like not beating Mm. played for four hours ended up killing some dragons turns out helped me a lot in terms of upgrading my character went back to that boss that i could not have like make any progress on and like literally didn't one shot it but pretty (laughs) much like i made a fool of it um and like that is a great way to enjoy the game is it the like sekiro way of learning how to like play the rhythm game of it no is that the best part about these games in my opinion not even close like Mm. the best part about these games is the world and the discovery and like watching how the characters animate and seeing how they respond to you and like the conversation between players who leave messages that are like hey, you should jump off this cliff when you actually shouldn't jump off of it. Or when they say, try butthole. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's you everywhere. know, like yeah. that's the joy of the game. And cheating against it is like perfectly okay. And you can do that in this game way better than you can in any other game. That's yeah. kind of why it reminds me of Skyrim because it has that openness. Like I, I've described yeah. games like Skyrim as like a and d game where the DM left and it's like everything is kind of laid out. There are mechanics and, and things have stats and numbers, but it's like totally in your control to navigate them however you want. Obviously Skyrim has like mods and it's like chaos, you know, where you can really cheat in that, like actually yeah. in that game. But yeah, like I think in the game again, like you're being rewarded for beating these bosses with those summons and with these abilities so i think the game is being like yeah like use whatever we're gonna give you a horse this time whatever have fun yeah Yeah. you know so yeah there is like there's just more to enjoy i would say in terms of what your first one should be i think it's really like there are often series we talk about on the show where like there is clearly an entry point like dragon quest i think dragon quest 11 is an easy one to start with and then go from there wait wait, which game is that dragon quest 11 I'm not familiar with that title. Is there a full, uh, uh, is there like a longer version of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give you the acronym. Uh, E-S, uh, no. It's a, in the Discord, everyone writes out the full acronym, which is like just so hard to look at. Like it's harder <laughs> than writing out the full subtitle. Um, but uh, I would say if you are a fan of Metroidvanias and you like that idea of untying a big knot, Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne, I think, have the best like level design where like, you will best level design in the sense of like unlocking it. Like you'll go down a path and then you'll realize like the end of that path loops back to somewhere you've been before. And now you've opened that gate. There's a lot of joy in that if that's your type of thing. So I'd say like, if you're a Metroidvania person, those two Sekiro, I think if you're someone who is like stressed out by too many options, and I know plenty of people who like didn't get into the breath of the wild for that reason, that they actually kind of wanted a more authored singular experience Sekiro all the way. Cause Sekiro is like, you have one sword and, 
a few options, but like there's really only one way to play this game. And it's largely a point A to point B narrative focus experience. It's very difficult, but like if that's the kind of experience you want, I would say start with that. It's the nightmare this... version of a PlayStation Studios exclusive. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I will say this as a, a both a good or a bad. I, I think a bad, but this person will say a good of a Sekiro. One of the art directors at Vox Media who had not played a lot of games. He basically started doing some work at Polygon and was like, oh, this Breath of the Wild looks interesting. I'll try that. And then he saw the art for Sekiro and he's like, wow, gotta play that game. Uh-oh. He had only played Breath of the Wild before this. <laughs> no other games. He in Breath of the Wild taught him how to use like the Y axis on the other yeah. joystick. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna beat Sekiro. He did beat Sekiro. <laughs> wow. It took him over 300 hours. Yeah. But he did it. And like, and he did it. And like, and he loved it. Like, he, it's his favorite thing that has ever existed. Yeah. But I, I think like that's the thing with Sekiro as an entry point is like, it both is more simple, but also like less forgiving. It demands perfection. Exactly. Yeah. It demands you meet it on its page. Exactly. Whereas you can't, you know, like, I think it's really apt to say this is the opposite of Elden Ring for, for that yes. for that singular reason. Yes. Yes. And no. In some way, I think I think you, you said earlier that this is kind of like a best of it's like a greatest hits of all the, oh, all the yeah. Miyazaki directed from soft stuff. And there are some elements of Sekiro in this game that I think are like absolutely, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, for example, I mean, even just Chris, you were just talking about like this litany of stuff that you have at your disposal that you can use to essentially like cheese the game. Uh, one of the things that Steven, you and I talked about a lot in our first episode about Sekiro was this realization that they're giving you all of these items like uh, like flame powder and stuff like that. And and like just like a flashbang, um, all of these items that feel like, you know, disposable things that you shouldn't use because like, oh, I need, you know, this is a FromSoft game. I need to like learn how to just parry and use the sword and stuff like that. But no, the game is giving you those tools because they want you to use them. And they're totally. in some cases necessary for survival. And I feel very similarly about Elden Ring where like if they're going to give me an entire mechanical tool set where I can summon four ghost dogs and throw them at a boss to distract them. And I can also upgrade those four ghost dogs to be even stronger. That's because like they want me to use that in a boss. They want me to use yeah. the tools that I have at my disposal. So I re- I really appreciate that aspect of Sekiro making its way over because I've been trying to rack my brain because in a lot of instances to me, this feels a lot like almost the perfect version of what Demon's Souls was trying to be. Um, Demon's Souls is, I would say, the least linear of all of the FromSoft games yeah. up until now because it has this hub world where you can just kind of like teleport into different zones that people have like aptly named as like Mario levels, essentially like one, 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 two, one, three, which is. <laughs> kind of like perverse and hilarious but the whole idea of demon souls is like you go into an area and if it's too hard for you you back out and go and try another one and you just see which ones you can make progress on until you make your way through of course because you know it's the first one of these things yeah like you're gonna eventually hit a wall and you're not going to be able to progress at a certain point and you're gonna have to find one that you can just bash your way through what i love about elden ring is that it kind of has that atmosphere but the entire area the space between those levels is totally filled in so for a lot of it to me elden ring feels a lot like demon souls but with no hub zone that you need to fast travel between places on no bad menus right exactly so then where where does the sekiro of it all come in and 
I really think it is this like kind of understanding that we're giving you all these tools. We want you to use them like there is a I would say specific way to play this game versus other Souls stuff. Uh, As Stephen, you and I were talking about earlier, there's a boss that I want to talk about in spoilers that I think is like great for tutorializing the difference between Elden Ring combat and all the other FromSoft combat. But at the end of the day, like there are just so many options. There's so many tools at your disposal to use and to not use them would be like to i would say avoid what is one of the joys of elden ring maybe i i feel like we're kind of like nearing the end of stuff that we can say because we've, we've been like really inching towards towards spoilers at this point so maybe we take a break and we come back and we just talk about spoilers how about that sounds good to me <laughs> there it is <laughs> bye-bye bye Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, here's the thing. I This is a hard game to talk about without being able to kind of talk a little bit more openly about some of the things that we've been experiencing. So this is going to be the spoiler segment. I imagine it's not going to just be like, here's all the stuff we've seen. But there's like <laughs> a whole bunch of shit to still talk about about this game that I think will just be easier to discuss in total with, you know, some examples to back it up because we've given zero yeah. examples so far. <laughs> we've talked for, you know, about how we played the game for 30 hours, right? Like <laughs> Brendan and I both, right? And I don't think I know any of the story, as you might have guessed from earlier on, where I was like, hey, what is the beginning basics of the story? Mm-hmm. Who's tarnished? What? Yeah. <laughs> if, if your concern is like plot based, we'll talk a little bit about the astrologer stuff on my end. But yeah, like, please. I think it would be legitimately difficult for us to spoil the story where we're at because yeah as like we talked about defeating the family lineage i don't know about you but like i have beaten one maybe two i think i'm not sure i've beaten of of that family and i i get a sense from the game that like you play most of the game having only beaten one and then you rapidly beat the rest that's been my read as well too yeah yeah um, yeah so uh they all have god in the name if that's helpful it has it has that like classic mm. kind of like arthurian fable energy where everybody has the same uh prefix in their name so depending on who you fought so far but you get the great runes oh. from each of them so it depends on how many great runes you have that's much funnier because godric is like the first one you meet yeah and godric sounds like a good name but if you just think about it as a prefix then it's just rick it's just rick and like that doesn't sound scary at all rick's the first god you take out it's like yeah. we'll take out rick first then we'll work our way rick up. the grafted Sorry, rick <laughs> i think in this spoiler section though because i i think what we opened the episode with talking about discovery and like the astrologer class and like how there's so many mechanical and environmental things that are also weirdly spoilers like even Mm -hmm. just in like our experience with it so i think we can all be open here to like just share what we've experienced even if it's not connected to like the lineage stuff yeah Um, Yeah. i I think at the end of the day like the the thing that uh, most people consider to be spoilers when it comes to these games are like the actual of the actual events Or like the things that you run into, like you ran into this area and saw this thing, which like at this point, I'm tired of not talking about because it's been four days since this game came out and I need to talk to somebody (laughs) about it. Uh, And those people, like people who really care about that, I am convinced they're not either have played. They've already done it or they yeah, they they pieced out a long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I, I look honestly, just like the lingering thought that you had uh, about the astrologer, I do kind of just want to hear like why why are you so connected to this class oh, you're playing man. as? Because I got yes. nothing on the wretch, obviously. So I want to know. <laughs> okay. I want to know your whole deal. So I'll I'll take you on my journey. Yeah. So I'm the astrologer, and for the beginning of the game, as with most of these games, it's like just nothing. Mm-hmm. Nobody's doing you any favors. You have your your like staff that like shoots goofy magic. Yeah. You have the same two spells. And for like 10 hours, you just have to like make do. And then I'm going around the world and they're, they're effectively forts in this game. Yeah. And they're very obvious when you come across them. They're just like little pocket of like a ruined town square basically Mm. and in each fort there's a stairwell that goes downwards and then there will usually be like a little mini dungeon and a boss and after you beat the boss you'll get a reward so i go and do that and i fight uh, a pumpkin head who becomes a much more common enemy who is just a like very tall person with a like pumpkin shaped steel helmet on yeah and i i beat the this this person and behind them instead of a chest is a effectively like mage or or astrologer who has been cast out from an academy effectively hogwarts because i'm convinced (laughs) it's full-on just hogwarts and is like hey i'm not allowed in hogwarts anymore i'm a bad to the bone um but would you like to study with me and do you have any like scrolls that i could like learn some spells that i can teach you Mm. i'm like I, in fact, I do. Um, I've been playing for 10 hours waiting to meet somebody just like you. And and she's like, great. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention this. She's wearing a giant paper mache mask. Yes. That is like a Grecian theater project to the back of the theater audience uh, mask. Yeah. And she like teaches me some stuff. And she's like, by the way, astrologers, you know, like we recognize that like everything here is like pretty trivial and that the real game is being played on like an astronomical level that like there is a battle happening in the stars and this is like so much bigger than what you think it is Mm. which gets at what you were talking about with bloodborne where yeah you get that turn and it's like oh this is much bigger so right away it hit me like oh this is the class that gets to enjoy that the most that like we are all the power that i'm getting is pulling from that so then, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm spoiling like a fair amount here. Even though none of this is late game, I ended up getting accidentally teleported into a very, very, very bad region. Oh, uh, was that like the kind of Morrowind-esque, like mushrooms and stuff? Mm, kind of. Yeah, it's like red. It's yes. very red. Yes. Yeah, everything yes. is red. And I get teleported there, and there is what I assume was original Hogwarts, but it is dead now. Like oh, it is destroyed. That's the place. Yes. Okay. And there cool. are there are ghost magicians there yep. from like what used to be this version of Hogwarts that I assume got destroyed by the Academy, which is like legitimate Hogwarts. Yeah. So there's an entire story of what happened to this area of magic casters, plus some absolutely incredible weapons for my class, uh, oh. including an ability that like allows me to like control like earth and gravity elements so i got this like three giant rocks that i can throw pretty much across any like basically goes further than any weapon by far cool stuns enemies so then i run up to them and stab them in the face it's just an incredible weapon and then there is the academy which i actually have not gone to yet oh you haven't haven't found it yet yeah well i i know what it is and where it is but i've just been enjoying learning everything else about the academy and i know i'm going in the wrong way Mm -hmm. because the academy happens right after the first ball I know now when I go back to it, I'm actually going to be probably overpowered, but I've really, really loved like learning all of the perspective from the Academy's enemies. Yeah. 
and now like once i'm finished with all this stuff i'm gonna go in there and be like okay now i know who Just i'm wreck dealing shop. With. yeah that's so cool i mean that that moment where you accidentally get teleported to that area and you walk like it's originally like a, a crystal mine and then you, at least yeah. for me it was. And then when you walk out, the sky is just red. And the game is like very purposeful with the color choices. Like mm-hmm. in the opening area, like everything is like yellow and green. So to walk out and to see the sky, like could not be more on the nose. Like this is a bad place. <laughs> the sky yeah. is like blood red. And what's so fascinating, I love that for your playthrough, because of your character, you had a personal connection to that place. That happens to me today and it totally caught me off guard. And it's one of those moments I was kind of alluding to earlier with like this feeling like fantasy that kind of moment is so shocking and in the discord people were sharing like when that happened in their playthrough someone said in their first hour they got sent there and i'm like that is wow horrifying because so- i'm like just keep, like i'm level 20 ish and i'm like just barely able to survive in that place the the, the embarrassing thing for me is i i gotta copy this before release yeah and i played that and where you get transferred is the worst you can't get out of it there's no way to teleport out of it even though you can teleport teleport anywhere because you have not visited a site of grace yet mm-hmm. so you've been transported into this like god-awful mine there are cockroaches that like spit i don't know like dozens of needles at you that yeah. basically <laughs> insta kill you yeah and i figured out how to like get up and up and up and if you go up and up and up, there's still no grace or campfire. There's just a boss fight that's next to impossible. <laughs> so I may have emailed the publicist to be like, pretty sure game is broken. <laughs> or I am bad at game. Oh my God. Not sure. Hard to say with this game. And she was like, yeah, I'll get back to you. And then like literally an hour later, I was like, never mind, me dumb. Um, <laughs> Should have gone down instead of up. <laughs> Uh, turns out very okay. Uh, (laughs) which is, I, I think like, again, talking about approachability with this game, the answer is often go stealth, look for an exit. Mm -hmm. Like if you get caught, it's, it's kind of wild how much you can avoid combat in this game. Yeah. Oh yeah. And just like look anywhere for an exit. That's one of the things I wanted to mention really early on. I feel like the game teaches you, I, I, I think kind of an unspoken thing about a lot of souls games has been like, okay, in that instance where you're fighting a boss and you uh, spawn way far back and have to fight through 15 to 20 enemies to get back to that boss. And like, maybe I won't even survive that. The unspoken thing has always been, you can just run through there It just run straight to the boss and just like try and avoid all the enemies and you'll probably make, it. This game, I think, specifically teaches you that, which is kind of a first for this uh, series, I think. Yeah. There's the moment right, right at the top, right at the gate uh, when you get your horse, you, you rest at a bonfire and uh, the, the maiden who helps you out gives you a horse. And the area right next to that gate where you get the horse is this area where there's a bunch of archers pointing and facing directly at the gate. And there's also a giant who will jump down and try and kill you if you like go through that gate at all. That that one two punch of like this is horrible. You need to go this way and we've just given you a horse is this wonderful kind of uh, game design alchemy that's like, yeah man, I'm just yeah. going to jump on my horse and just run fucking by all that. I'm never I'm never once going to fight these people ever. I have no need. <laughs> I, I think I think it happens even earlier because you come so the game starts underground and yeah. you come out of the ground, you see the big open world and the first character you meet oh, yeah. is a Patrice wildly Emma. overpowered boss. Yeah. And the only way to get past him you you cannot win that fight is to sneak past yeah and like that it, it's such a 
substantial change in the formula for the FromSoft game. Because every other FromSoft game, well, not every other, but the Dark Souls model, the Demon Souls model mm-hmm. is, okay, we're going to teach you the controls. We're going to teach you how to jump, how to dodge, how to like attack. And then we're going to put you up against a boss that you can't win against. And you're going to die. And we're going to teach you that like dying is as much a part of the game as like jumping and rolling and attacking. Right. And this is the opposite. Like they they have that same boss and you might die or if you're like clever enough and you just say, hey, thing looks pretty big. I'd rather not. <laughs> it's like, great. You learned your lesson. Yeah. The answer is actually to just not fight right now, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I, I mean, I just continue to be shocked by how much this game is not like the other games. It's just so it's so kind if you let it be. It's so impressive that a lot of like it has some of the most clear teaching in an open world formula, which could have potentially yeah. like muddied it or kind of blurred the intentionality. But like every area is so either like just intriguing because it's bizarre or eventually even even without prior knowledge of FromSoft stuff like this game has its own version of like a Ghost of Tsushima. Like here are the eight spots you can kind of check out. Like there's going to be like a base of bad guys. There's like mm-hmm. an uncharted uh, platforming area or like a fox you follow and you find something this game has that without like broadly announcing it but eventually you start to see like oh like those are the ruins with the stairs down there are areas where like there's like a singular boss fight that i can be teleported to it's nice that like the more you explore the more armed you are with like your sense of awareness and your sense of place and it informs like where you want to go so even though it's really fun to like be caught off guard and to go somewhere blindly it's also nice to be like okay i'm kind of sick of fighting this boss what should i do instead and and kind of know where to go from that yeah i i think it's i think it's really exciting that this game has a map at all just to be clear um <laughs> yes. yeah sekiro had a map this map i think is way more intentional about its design because it's this kind of hand-drawn map that has things like you were just talking about Stephen. it has things on the map that are kind of telegraphed in certain ways mines in which you can go get like smithing stones and stuff are always drawn with an entrance exactly the same way on a map. Even when you start the game, like right at the top, before you even have any of the map filled in at all, you can see the roads. It's just like a brown piece of paper, essentially, that has roads on it with literally only one icon on it. And if you make your way to that icon and go interact with the thing that's there, that's how you unlock the written, like the actual drawn map. And then having that drawn map will then allow you to explore more things. Like, for example, you were just mentioning the boss fights you can get summoned to, the Ever Jails, which are really fun. Like, they always look the same. They're always represented as black circles on the map. And... If you're like bashing your head against one of the larger bosses, it's really cool to know like, oh, yeah, I can go like take on all these kind of smaller dudes and see if, you know, maybe one of them drops a weapon that helps me out or a talisman or something like that. And if not, it's just like something else to do that's exciting. So you have the same like it's funny because I think a lot of the discussion about this game is like, oh, it's very Breath of the Wild. It's like subverting that Assassin's Creed, Ubisoft, you know, uh, icons on a map formula. It's not. They're just not icons on the map. They're literally just drawn and not really telegraphed you specifically need to learn and understand what that drawing means and that's so fucking cool so cool yeah and that's more generous than any assassin's creed game right like the only things that are on the map are the erase the fog of war buttons Mm -hmm. i honestly don't know of another game that does that where it both has a fog of war and it's like hey but if you want to make it go away 
literally just go here. Yeah, it's like Breath of the Wild, maybe with the towers. But even then, like the towers aren't telegraphed on the map. You need to actually see them in the world. You still and have to, to go find them. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like it, it's just shocking to me how much. And, and, and you're right. There, there are also some astrologer things that are tied into that, too, that are oh. on the map. Um, And it, it, once you know what to read in it, I guess that pairs with the game itself, right? Like mm-hmm. once you know how to read it. It's all there. Yes. The begrudging generosity. It's also kind of mirrored by the first character you meet. Like you said earlier, Chris, it starts underground and then you kind of go through the tutorial area. Then like emerge, which is always a really fun moment in an open world game. Like when you emerge from the cave Mm. and see what's around you, you see that that night that's going to kick your ass. And there's also a dude who's like got another kind of Venetian mask who <laughs> it feels like someone asked for himself, like, can you just have a character that tells me where to go and what's up? And it's like, this is their version of that. Or he's like, yeah. Oh, you're new. I guess you can go over there. Good luck. It's like, he's, he's telling you where to go. But like, he also kind of announces that we talked, you know, much earlier about like this sort of, a plot of the of these gods and this family bloodline and the fact that you as a tarnished are like at least sort of the the winds of potential change like you're more of a force than like anything else and it feels like so many characters who are helping you want something in return or Mm -hmm. like using you as a pawn like there are all these characters that you meet in locations and talk to and they're all just so visually intriguing and and strange and interesting that like you're going to talk to everyone but then there are a couple characters that like get a cutscene which that's my other favorite thing about from soft games like when there's a cutscene you know it's like okay i gotta sit down for this one it's gonna be like a riddle but i know it's important yeah it's gonna be all proper nouns and the word and but like it's at least gonna be exhilarating (laughs) so that one of the first things you're told by the guy in the venetian mask is like oh you're maidenless which is essentially like you're not gonna get anywhere without the help of a maiden lo and behold pretty early on this mysterious young woman appears who has like a mark or crest over her eye or something but she's like i'll help you out if you need a maiden and she's the character who levels you up which is really interesting because i feel like in past from soft games there's usually a character like her who levels you up like there's the doll and bloodborne there's yeah. the firelink shrine maiden but it usually kind of go like the doll there's definitely mystery too but it's usually like a little bit unquestioned here it's like the character who is directly leveling you up also seems to be clearly using you in some way, which is very interesting. It's like, yeah. even the power you're getting is like for the benefit of someone else. And she even admits like she's the one who gives you the horse. And then later on, she's like, you know, every now and then, if you go to a site of grace, there's an option to talk to her. I forgot her name, but Melina. when you talk to her uh, at some point, she's like, I have to admit, like, I didn't really believe in you. I just needed to like <laughs> see if you were like right. strong enough. And now you are. But it seems your horse really likes you. So that's cool. So it's like, OK, so you admit that you were lying from go. But like, where is this going? And like, can I opt out of this at any time? <laughs> uh, there's another maiden that shows up and gives you the ability to summon wolves. So it's like all these people are helping you. And, and this is a big moment that I think we'll probably talk a lot about. I think it's actually right after that conversation where she's yeah. like, now that I know you're like able to beat the first boss, I'm going to invite you to this round table of like heroes. This is where the real tarnished hang out. And they're like the only character who there's the guy who says like, I have high hopes for you. I'm pissed about it. And then the only other character that seems to like be happy that I'm there is a prisoner, the blacksmith the blacksmith. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's very intentional that like one of the one of the friendlier characters is also there against their will. Um, So there's there's an element of control here that is very unsettling that I'm very curious about. Mm. 
the other thing too, you, uh, you mentioned this, Chris, with the character in that area that like offers to give you a hug. And it's revealed after a couple hugs that like she is a it's like a death whisper or something. And there's like some like she's not death. I think deathbed maiden. Deathbed like, maiden. Gotcha. She. I. Th- I. I. I might have misunderstood this, but I think it's that she lies with people who are on their deathbed and absorbs what remains of their life, and then she's going to apply all of that life vigor to a hero sometime in the future. Or champion that that like yeah. then serves a greater purpose. I think you're right. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. So all these hugs I've been getting might still be a mistake, but it doesn't <laughs> seem in line with the game so far to like punish you. It's funny to like play the Demon Souls remake on PS5. Mm. You know, like only a few months before this, because one, I I think Demon Souls is my favorite of the FromSoft games. Mm other than this I, okay, I, think, I, was, I was gonna ask even still okay yeah I, like the oh i mean this is my favorite by yes. far but the open nature of that still rules but it's funny to go back and see something from the beginning of all this with a similar hub that you go and visit except for that hub is inscrutable it's <laughs> humongous and going to any corner of it takes forever and you can get lost <laughs> and there's like things you might never find. Right. And by comparison, this is just such a it's like a really nice studio apartment, you know, like <laughs> you're going to you're going to find the people that you need to find. And it wants I think it wants you to feel like a comfort in visiting in it mm-hmm. so that you will visit regularly. And the people, for the most part, are pretty friendly and like have interesting stories that are like very easy to follow going on the prisoner that you mentioned who's the blacksmith has a very interesting story with another character um that that i find like really rewarding and then when that pays off that pays off with you having the ability to upgrade your like ghost buddy npcs yeah and like that's just a mechanic right like now i can plus two plus three plus four a character but how it pays off narratively and in I don't know. It elevates that feeling. So yeah. now when I do those upgrades, it's like, oh, this is cool. Like I am both upgrading my ability to like beat a boss now, but also I'm upgrading this character. Yes. <laughs> like they're becoming more confident in their work. They're a better person. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, that is such a cool reward. I think that's one of the more interesting things about this game. Like that, that I think is, is kind of a perfect encapsulation of like, if, if you, if you were to critique Elden Ring for one thing in particular, I think it's just like the unevenness of how considered the entirety of the game is. I, I think one, one of the, the main tentpole things about FromSoft stuff and the Miyazaki stuff that people really fixate on is like, the entire world feels extremely considered. It feels extremely authored. Everything is put there for a very specific reason, et cetera, et cetera. An NPC that investing in their conversation and, and helping them like literally find their purpose, culminating in the ability to upgrade one of your abilities or like one of the tools that you have with you is like peak, like best of from soft shit. Like that is so perfect in terms of the reward that it's giving the player. And then there are other instances where there are like really actually super important mechanics that are so easy to miss in this game <laughs> that it's like really it's really unfortunate because they they spend so much time tutorializing so much in this game way more than ever before. There's a menu option that shows you all the tutorials you've seen, which is even wild to have in this game. So you can go like brush up on a mechanic if you have been playing and haven't used it and want to learn how to use it at a certain point. It's so funny, like 
the whiplash between like the way you get your summons is you have to visit a place that you've already been once at a specific time of day. And even sometimes that NPC won't show up and give it to you versus how you upgrade that exact same mechanic being this like extremely rich and rewarding storyline is kind of like the best way to sum up sometimes where this game is faltering versus where it's firing on all cylinders. So I played, I think, seven hours of the game without the ability to do crafting. Oh my and God. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> There's yes. no crafting in this Me game. Too. Like the menus, it's on the start menu. It says crafting. When am I going to get crafting? It really feels like I need crafting because all of the like bombs and uh, yep. other upgrades that are in every Dark Souls game. The way you summon other players into your world is yeah. through crafting. N- none of it is here. And I, I went into the Polygon Slack and I was like, hey, when do I get crafting? And they're like, oh, it's the first thing you do. It's like, what do you mean? Like, oh, the first merchant you talk to, if you talk to him like three or four times, He's like, by the way, I have a crafting manual. You should probably buy that. <laughs> I was like, man, I have played a lot of FromSoft games. I know the language. I did not consider that. So then I bought the crafting, but then there were crafting cookbooks that they had, which had numbers next to it. So it was like Assassin's Notebook crafting, mm-hmm. you know, three elliptical and three. And I was like, oh, it's an elliptical. I probably already have two of these. Wrong. False. I did not have two of you them. You just bought number three. <laughs> it was number three. It was issue three yeah. of a great magazine run. And like, you need to buy all of them. That's dumb. <laughs> I would say overall, like the UI is still kind of hard to read. Like during our call before recording, Brendan, I had to ask you, like, how do I see, like, I know how to equip, upgrade and change my Ash of Wars, but how do I just see, like, what the description of them is? And it's yeah. like, how do you know what they do until you equip them? Yeah, yeah you it's have like, to, like detail view, switch that, and then and then you see at the, you have to scroll down to find yes. the I'm not even kidding. You have to hover oh. over it, press R3 twice and then square to see what they do. I yes. just assumed you had to use them and learn. See, this is the kind of shit that I'm talking about. <laughs> which one, which which uh, ghost buddy do you you all prefer? I love the wolves. I'm a big fan of the three wolves. Oh. It's, it's a little bit of a basic choice because it's your first one. But I find that I tend to use them when I'm getting ambushed. So if I need to like cause chaos and like yeah. run or like get a get a backstab, I'll throw down the three wolves and they'll just go for it. They also do like a pretty good amount of damage. And you can use them in some boss fights, which like really helped me especially yeah. like the first big story boss fight you could summon the wolves i also like the jellyfish yeah the jellyfish is fun and is weirdly like really tanky so yeah. the, i have a few other ones i have like a noble sorcerer i can summon i have a group of nobles i could summon but the wolves have been like my go-to do you have a named one yet not yet no i just got in that horrible red sky area i just got yeah. the ability to summon like gross wolves <laughs> So that's the most Whoa. identity I've I've received in my summons. Brendan, do you have a named? I do, yes. Okay. I do not have the mana pool to summon them, which is unfortunate. I need to ah. invest more in my mind stat to be able to summon them. But do you, do you know the name of it? No, I don't remember. But I is I it do. headless? Yes. Okay, you should invest in it. Okay. I'll just say that. I invested in it and then realized I had the materials for a plus four upgrade, like back to back to back to back. <laughs> okay. And now I have effectively a boss, like a, <laughs> a Dark Souls boss who just fights with me. Nice. Like, who is like three times my size, carries around a burning pike and just like 
pearl like the oh, number of yeah. times i'm like well i'm dead this boss is about to beat me and then, like as it's attacking me a flaming pike bursts through its chest because it's been attacked from behind <laughs> oh and my it, god it, it literally just gets wrecked by my 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 ghost pal it is all of all of those like ghost buddies they're good the, yeah the the jellyfish especially is like great at just like distracting yes yeah. but this is the first time where it's like Oh, I have a permanent best friend who is better at the game than I am <laughs> who rules. comes to humiliate other other baddies. And the first time that I had a boss fight was like, oh, there's actually two bosses here. It was such a good feeling of like, oh, OK, cool. I brought my buddy. Just I'll, I'm going to bring him to this. Yeah, fight good luck. Too. Yeah. I didn't realize I wanted summoning in these games. Like, It kind of feels like a no brainer in retrospect because so much of like like if you were ever stuck, you could either like ask an NPC to help you fight or summon a friend, but like literally making summons a reward and a mechanic in the game that alongside your horse are like by far my favorite, like new gameplay features in Elden Ring. The horse is a Sega arcade game. Just dropped into FromSoft, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. FromSoft, like, your characters have always controlled, like, you know, like, not good. Like, slightly better than a Resident Evil, like an early Resident Evil game. Right. And then they give you this horse, and like, I literally did not use the horse forever because I was like, well, this is going to be stupid. Like, yeah, your character already doesn't move well. Surely this won't be good. And then I hopped on, and I was like, oh, Sonic and Sega All-Star Racing Transformed? Here I am. I love to drift as a horse. <laughs> the best feeling with the horse for me was that night we've mentioned a couple times who like is your first bully right by the entrance. Mm. Getting the horse and then going back to him and it's like, aha, look at me now and taking him out. It's so <laughs> it was so rewarding. I've never had more like positive emotions from revenge yeah. than that moment. <laughs> <laughs> the horse just enables like so much fun and and I the fact that it's like a means for discovery it's like a, a leveling of the playing field as you were just saying as well and also it has a double jump I was just about to say is also like allows you to double jump and essentially just like create Skyrim platforming moments where you're like yeah. you know climbing uh, cliff sides that you absolutely should not be it's so fun it's like one of the more meaningful additions to this game which i'm really surprised by because generally in open world games i will not ever stop walking like breath of the wild i'm walking at all times i'm playing cyberpunk 2077 yeah. right now as i mentioned i could i can summon a car at any moment in that game and i spend all of my time walking from destination to destination in cyberpunk for some reason as well that's like not my mo in these games um but the horse just is such a joy at all times even as i was saying before like it allows you to just skip encounters that you like really can't make it to at the moment or allows you to take on encounters that you like absolutely should not be able to like right at the beginning that starting area as well if you veer off to the left and head towards the beach there's a giant just that's like climbing up the mountain and you can yeah. like pretty easily take that giant out as long as you have a horse and a sword like you're gonna be fine which is pretty rad i i, I love the, the horse is called torrent which i've seen some speculation online that the whole reason is that if you try and go to like uh google and type in elden ring torrent it won't show actual like pirated versions of elden ring it'll just show <laughs> lore about a horse instead brilliant brilliant idea that's amazing i keep feeding torrent raisins because i'm like this is a from soft game i feel like if i feed them raisins like 300 times they'll like <laughs> start talking or something like it's like <laughs> I just like, I decided that's like how I'm going to show affection to this creature that I love is feed them raisins that I made in cookbook volume two. So, yeah. 
It's my favorite issue. They just went all out with the NPCs too. Like I keep going back to that, but like I just I love every character I meet, and they scream so much personality. Like there's always that moment of fear in other FromSoft games, where like you can't tell if it's an enemy or or someone you can talk to. Yeah. And here it's always like very clear and very like oh okay like hush 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 I need to talk. I've had one major yeah. moment where they subverted that in like a super huge way, where uh, there was somebody singing on a cliffside, which was like oh that's fun. Like I can't wait to go talk to them. Them, and it uh, was a fucking nightmare. Oh guys. no! <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I met the uh, the famous um, Jar Warrior, and he was oh, yes. he was as good as the hype set up. Yeah. There's like there are archetypes at this point with FromSoft characters. There's like the jovial, like Winnie the Pooh esque knight, and it always lands perfectly for me. It's like my favorite character in fiction. Yeah, I, your, I love them your so favorite much. Vibe. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think that there must be some inconsistency between what I I don't know if everything happens at the same time for every player. And by that, I mean, I was looking up guides mm-hmm. for certain stuff and I was like, oh, OK, you know, I'm like making a good progress, but I, I would like to have a little bit more like health on hand. So I, I was like, I'm not going to spoil myself, but I just want to get one flask. So I looked up a guide on Google and the advice was like, oh, go here, you know, get this, meet this woman who lives in a shed. And then there's a lot of people living in sheds in this game. Yes. <laughs> and she'll tell you this thing and then like, go and do this favor and then come back and you'll meet her. And uh, she'll like come and hang out with you in the the throne room forever and ever. Amen. And she'll be your new best friend. I was like, great, <laughs> cool. Oh, and, and then like once she comes to the, the throne room, she'll give you a golden seed, which lets you upgrade your flask. Mm. It's like, got it. Cool. I already met her like at the beginning of the game and i'm like 20 hours in can't wait to go see her again wonder what she's up to so i like finally do the thing that i needed to do and i go back she is not there there's just a like blood and a golden seed where she would be oh Oh, shit and i'm like oh well i guess i waited too long on that one yeah um and i don't know if like maybe the guide's wrong or if i am like this game like leads to like so much that on the playground type of conspiracy theory yes yes (laughs) where it's like is this real is this what happens for everybody i don't know but it's cool it's such a great way to playground conspiracies it like that awoke so many memories of me of like being eight years old and someone being like you know you can get a mew in pokemon red if you like you know turn the game off when you have a like it's like all these like weird things i feel like the way people are talking about elden ring right now and that like did you see this did you see this did you know this i haven't really had that experience since like skyrim when that like first came out Yeah. yeah um it's really fun it's a really fun time when um, Russ Rushik, who I do the besties with and who works at Polygon, we last Thursday were like, oh, like, let's play some multiplayer together. And we tried to do it. And of course, it did not work because it is a from <laughs> software game in the first uh, week. That was a bummer. And that was a bummer. But he's like, oh, I no worries. Just you play the game. And he like couldn't even, I wasn't even st- streaming on Discord. He's like, just do everything that I tell you to do. And <laughs> I like followed, all, like, he's like, oh, what do you see? And I was like, I see like a castle and a swamp. And he's like, okay, I think like go like, two more buildings down and like was this guiding me guiding me guiding me and then like after like a half hour of this i finally got to this room just off of his like you know guidance of listen you know i, I kind of gave him telephone and he's like okay open that treasure chest i open it and there is a thing called the meteorite staff in it and it like requires nothing to carry can't be it can't be upgraded but there's no need to upgrade it because it's more powerful than literally everything in the game <laughs> um that and it, you know, it, it's allowed me to effectively like 
take upgrading weapons off of my plate of my like stress factor mm. which uh, th- we you have that with everything in this game like where should i spend my points where should i upgrade like what weapons should i upgrade what should i do with any of these items and taking something off your plate feels like such a relief so now I know eventually this weapon will not be as good as other stuff. Like I, I it will be it surpassed, but for the next 10 hours, like it's all I need. Yeah. And that it, it's like such a joy when you get something like that, that somebody, a friend can show you. Yes. And I know that there's like, a, like, I think we even have something on Polygon. It's like, Hey, you should go get this weapon. And that's cool. And I, I hope that makes the game easier for more people, but it's so much better when you get that tip from like, a friend who's just doing you a solid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or you happen to find it. If you happen to find it, I can only imagine for him how mind-blowing this was to, like, <laughs> stumble across this thing and be like, wait, this is 10 times more powerful yes. than everything I've had up until this point? Oh, okay, sure, why not? Yeah, and that's where the delicate balance of, like, not telegraphing too many things pays off, like, those moments of discovery. But then, like, you know, finding the whetstone that you need to equip Ashes of War and that's just, like, in, yeah. a, in a bunk somewhere, that's, that's trickier. But, yeah, I mean, the, I think this is also where like the ability to leave notes that other players will find if they're connected to the internet this feels like the most alive i mean it's it's a new game so there's part of that too but like since like dark souls one i feel like the notes haven't been as alive as now because like it just yeah. it really does feel like uncharted territory and like you really do like i i constantly feel the need to be like oh check out this or like be weary of this like for yes. like because you know it's again, it's 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 tough to say because it's a new game and a lot of people are playing it. But I think just by nature of the openness, the notes feel the most needed and the most uh, great when they actually help. It's worth mentioning that Chris initially reached out to us to ask to come on the show and talk about Elden Ring specifically because I think you said it's your favorite open world game since Death Stranding. And I feel like yeah. the, the note system has always been great in FromSoft stuff, to be mm. clear, like always been really wonderful, especially at launch, like the notes in Sekiro and Blood and stuff at launch were like just hilarious and great and helpful and things like that but in an open world i feel like it does weirdly get as close to death stranding as any game has in a weird way (laughs) yes that that is such a good point and it's like such the natural evolution of death stranding where there's like the trolling is similarly enjoyable like the number of times i came across like obviously like the try butthole um is like a dark souls classic but yeah the uh, Fortnite. Fortnite is, is like so funny gorgeous, every time. It's like some gorgeous vista, and then you're like, "What does this say?" And it's like Fortnite. Like, sure, <laughs> nailed it again. But I, I, I feel I, I don't know if it's because this game is like maybe hit critical mass uh, with newcomers. Yeah, but. I feel like people are downvoting the really not mean spirited, but like not helpful, like jump off cliff, right. like hidden path here or whatever. Yeah. yeah, where it's like I still see those now and then, and it's funny when I get them occasionally. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like if I look at a note and and it has you know five likes, it's like oh this is bad. I don't need to look at this. Still funny. But like mm-hmm. not useful or it has like 200 likes. And I'm like, oh, I know for a fact that this is actually helpful. It's actually good. Totally. Information. Yeah. And like that's that's nice. I like because I want those goofs. I want the trolls. But I also like don't want to have to die every time I see somebody say jump off cliff. Yeah. And because there are actually I've had two moments where jumping off cliff actually was the right yes. thing to do. Yeah. 
I have found one illusory wall also oh, yeah. that Same. was marked by a note. And I, my thing is if I see a note that tells me to jump off a cliff, I won't do it. But if I, you know, I'll, I'll look around on the camera sometimes just to see if there's stuff below. But I will hit every illusory wall that I see that I read a note about just in yeah. case because I know there's got to be some. And the first time I found one was like, the conspiracy is real. Now I have to <laughs> really go for all of them. Yeah. Were there, were there a lot of plants in the area where you found that? No. Oh, okay. So there's an area that you're going to come across that has an illusory wall that uh, has a lot of vegetation. And that was the place where I got both the plus three and the plus four that I needed to upgrade my ghost. Oh, and no. it was such like a barn burner of a moment where it's this random thing. And it's like, <laughs> okay, here you go. Like, and, you know, the items pop up and it's like yeah. plus three for your thing. And I'm like, hot damn. And there was like plus four for that thing. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is the best plant I've ever killed. My I, uh, my Chekhov's gun with the notes was like just seeing a bunch of awful notes that said rump in some way, like praise rump, all this. And then meeting the jar warrior and his first line is like, hello, good sir. Could you smack my backside as hard as you can? And it was just like <laughs> it felt like it weirdly manifested, yes. even though it was like totally an non sequitur because you do you have to like hit him. In on the back of his jar as hard as you can, and then he gets out of the place he's stuck. It's very funny. It's so good. But anyway, yeah, the notes are a mixed bag, but usually very fun. I do like this kind of walking on eggshells of like I don't I don't really know exactly what I can say and talk about on this episode because I don't want to spoil stuff for you. There's there's one location <laughs> that I've been to that is one of the most shocking things that I've seen in a video game in a long time that I know for a fact you haven't seen, Stephen, because you didn't text me about it immediately. <laughs> Did you go underground? Yes. Okay. That blew my mind. That's exactly what it, I'm talking about. It, yes. Br it broke my mind. Yeah. It really has fucked me up. I actually haven't gone back there since because it was so jarring that I was like, I'm going to come back here later. I can't deal with this. It's legitimately hard to process. Yes. Steven, when you see yeah. this, you need to you need to text us immediately. Just like you'll know. There's been an invisible checklist on Brendan's end of like things he has wanted me to see before this episode. I think I've got like at least eight of them. Like I have met all the of jar. them except for this specific this, one. It, this, is also, the this is by far the whole game. I was like, oh, that's surprising. Oh, that's surprising. You know, getting teleported to the random space and then coming out of it and like yeah. finding out there's an entire different world. That's surprising. This is by far the moment where I was like, well, fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's your I, like literally anything believe... can happen in this video game moment. Yeah, like I, you have I can't believe you have the gall yeah. <laughs> that you did this. Um, yes. It's incredible. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Will I just stumble uh, into it or is it like an esoteric thing? I, I, I you you will 100 percent see it. <laughs> You okay, will 100% <laughs> see it. And when you see it, at first you're like, is this it? And then gradually, and then very quickly, you will be like, oh my, this is it. I've seen the thing. <laughs> I'm um, very excited. I, one, one thing I wanted to get in before we wrap that, that is like, I feel like a very into the ether thing. So I wanted to put it here instead mm. of at thebesties.com is like, this game has made me really nostalgic and grateful for games criticism and like kind of, I mean, in the way nostalgia usually works, like kind of sad and kind of happy at the same time. Mm. But when I, I've been, in, I guess, in games criticism for a, a little while when Demon Souls came out, but I remember distinctly what it was like when Demon Souls happened. Mm. It was a moment like there were a, a lot of critics that I really admired who I think that game really touched and it's like a bummer because practically none of them are like writing anymore. Yeah. Um, because 
games media, especially then, slightly less so now, but definitely then, it was like a hard beast. So like Chris Dolan, who was a co-founder of Killscreen, um, but also I like secretly one of the greatest and most formative critics for me of games. Keza McDonald, who actually is probably the one personal name who's still working, who's at The Guardian, mm. um, did a lot of writing on Dark Souls. Uh, Lee Alexander, obviously, yeah. did a lot of writing. John Tatey, who founded Gameological Society at the AV Club, was like the first person who, when Demon Souls and Dark Souls was coming out, was like, oh, you have to try these Kingsfield games. I think these <laughs> things are going to be a hit. And I was like, you're deranged. Because I actually did the demo for Dark Souls 1. I was like, this is the worst demo I've ever seen. Had a press event. <laughs> Jason Killingsworth, who uh, was in the press and then actually like left the press, and now actually runs a book publishing company that makes these like very, very, very fancy game books, one Ooh. of which is about Dark Souls. Oh, cool. But it was like this wild thing of these people taught me to love this thing for a decade more than a decade and like i um well, I, I, I don't know not maybe not more but anyway that's getting the semantics they like prepared me to like love this thing and despite that i tried over and over and over again to find that appreciation that they had and it always like hurt that i couldn't because all of these people are like i mean these are the people that inspired me to do this career mm. and like make a life of this and like try to like validate games to people and like show them why they matter and illuminate them and here's the thing that all of them like universally loved and i just couldn't have that feeling and this is the first time where like i have that feeling so i think like yeah. that's why i messaged you and was like i have to talk about this because on on a pure like gameplay level yeah i love this game but for from software to finally give me that thing mm. and to give me that understanding and like connect with these people who I like genuinely love. Like I, I have uh, everybody I named before this, like I appreciate them more than I can express with words to like be able to connect with that writing on this level is just like been an actually like an emotional experience for me. Mm. And like, I can't think of a game like this. I mean, near Automata and 13 Sentinels obviously coming to mind, but, but this is like, some like game of the decade game of all time type of stuff for me yes personally where i'm just like wow this is unlocking years of feelings that i've had about these games but also these critics and these people and like i'm like suddenly connecting with them all at once and to have like a decade of like writing hit you at once is like i, I can't explain how weird this week has been uh, yeah. uh, as like a fan of criticism for that to just like hit you like a fucking bullet train. It's been very cool. Thank you for sharing that. First of all, I mean, I think that that to me reminds me of just like how almost equally important, like what's happening in our lives and around us is to the game we're playing. Like that kind of connection of like, where was I when I played near Automata or where was I when this game happened? I think we often do that with bonuses where like, We'll talk about our time with the game in the series, but I think like that connection is really beautiful. And I'm really glad that you had that unlocking moment after all this time. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're so right on because I think I even talked about this on the last show that we did with Death Stranding, where it was like near Automata, I had, I played right after we had our miscarriage in Death Stranding. I was playing before a car crash into our house, but finished afterwards Yeah, and like, kind of like my life got set in a spiral after that. I, th I think you're right that the games that like really resonate with me, it's either the events of my life opened me up to them or like in this case, which is just so unusual. I've never had anything quite like this. Yeah. It's like, it feel it honestly feels like the culmination of my like, not career, 
but my love of video games <laughs> that sounds like yeah. I, i'm saying that out loud and that sounds like so hyperbolic but it really feels like that like as an adult it. my love of video games is like all coming to a head in this one moment and it's just been like the wildest 30 hours i put into a video game that i, I can think of yeah, yeah i think for me like the last time i felt that like very personal cosmic connection going back to astrologer was <laughs> celeste which actually i started like before we had done this show and i think when we when it came to game of the year for 2018 i think brendan and myself our picks were so tethered and they always are like, we always like whether it's louder in our minds or not like we always have these personal connections to things but like celeste had language that spoke to how i was feeling in that time so vividly that like it it was like a genuine moment that helped me so i'm like i could i could praise so many like mechanical aspects of this but just this moment in time was so sacred and that's kind of it, that's what i'm hearing in your discussion of like the the 10 years of of from soft quest soul searching yeah i yeah i i you mentioned this last night. I, I just have to share a story about Maddie Thorson that like Maddie is just one of the nicest humans on the planet. This is like very side story, but I just feel like you would enjoy this. Of course. But yeah. I, I, I did a, a profile when during the launch of Towerfall and there was this they called it the Indie House. And I yes. like stayed a night in the Indie House the day that Towerfall launched. I remember reading this piece. Yes. Yeah, and like I don't even know if I put this in the piece. They had a tournament that night, and I got second place, and it was like one of my single greatest mm. moments ever. But then one of the 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 better things that happened was like years later, I was in town doing a story on something at Microsoft, and it was fine. Like I, I it's not like a feature that I'm like especially proud of. But since I was in Vancouver, I stopped by that house again, and like most of the people had moved out. Maddie was about to, I think, move anyway, and it was kind of like the end of an era. And uh, I got a demo of a game that one that never came out, and then the like very very early prototype of Celeste. Oh, wow. And basically got the pitch of like what the game was, got the pitch for that game. And then the a few members of the house like made chili <laughs> and we had like <laughs> vegan chili and just kind of like discussed this game. And I, I remember it like even then thinking like, wow, I can never review this game because I, I already think it is perfect like an all-timer yeah. yeah and and then when it, that was like such a, again sorry this is like tangential but no, when I that game it. came out I, I'm always happy when I hear people say that because I think there are a lot of games out there that are like oh I don't, I don't mean to undermine these games because they're well-intentioned but it's like we're dealing with depression and anxiety but I think there's like an earnestness with that game that is like unparalleled oh totally and I, I I I it was like such a cool feeling when that game came out to like connect that feeling that I had when I like had the good fortune of being in the room during that prototype and then seeing the final product and being like, wow, they're both there. Like, like <laughs> the, the promise of the That's game so in cool. the game are the same. Sorry. Like obviously very separate from Elden Ring, but I, I just, I, I had no, no, I, I think it's, it's all connected in some way that thank you for sharing that. It's so cool to hear. And Brendan, I know you kind of had that with Hollow Knight that year as well. And yeah. I, I've weirdly, all these games are like brutally difficult and all of that. I like, was literally just about to bring that yeah. up, actually, because so there's I was I was going to bring up the Hollow Knight aspect and how these are all very difficult. Um, and I think there's a lingering question. I've, I've seen some people ask this recently, you know, people who are not like into FromSoft stuff or into games that are this difficult will ask, like, why do you put yourself through things like this? Like, why? Why is this the game that you choose to play when things are rough? 
in some way, shape or form. And our friend of the show, Tamar Hussein over at GameSpot, did a really, really, really poignant interview with uh, Frontburner, which is a CBC news podcast all about this and all you know he obviously has like a really long standing relationship with the fromsoft stuff and the souls stuff but he has a really great interview where he just talks a lot about like difficult games as therapy in a way and that resonates with me so that was exactly the reason why hollow knight was such a big deal for me at the time like going through extremely tumultuous point in my life when hollow knight came out on the switch and was like this is actually just the only thing i'm going to do until i'm done and i can prove to myself that i can do something that feeling being able to experience it over and over and over and over and over again is the appeal of these games to me really at the end like there's a lot of extremely great shit that's going on in elden ring and bloodborne and Sekiro and all these great games but like at the end of the day that feeling that like triumph that like pure triumph is something you don't get to experience in daily life that frequently dear listener and elden ring will give that to you all the time (laughs) and it's great That's a great pitch. I totally agree. And I think like there's obviously nuance within that. But yeah, I I think that again, circling back to Elden Ring specifically, that generosity and like the numbness you eventually get to failure eventually reaches a point where you only are really digesting the victory. Like failure is guaranteed. Yeah. But victory is the thing that is going to anchor the quest and it's what you're going to remember. Wow. I don't want to like overstate it, but I think Elden Ring is a good video game. (laughs) (laughs) Graphics, sound, uh, <laughs> scary Larry, cool five factor. out of five. How much does it look like a Led Zeppelin vinyl cover? Uh, <laughs> look, I, I I think it's probably uh, almost time to wrap up, but I I will say that like already there are discussions about this where people have gone online, they've logged on, and they've said things like <laughs> this is the best video game ever made. I don't feel that personally yet, but I have been blown away playing this game more times than I have in most games that I've played in recent years. I would say Breath of the Wild is probably the last time I felt this emotionally attached to a world that I had been making my way through in a very long time. I think this is like in contention, but uh, it's going to take a long time. We're going to talk about this game again on this podcast more than once, I would guess. I don't think it's the best game ever made because I have not finished it yet. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. that, that's yes. where i'm landing with it is yeah. like i I, I need to play more to see if it can hold up but damn like the thing that you talked about with earlier experiences with FromSoft is kind of my main concern with this because like there are some FromSoft games that i haven't finished like sekiro for example steven and i had the exact same experience of making it to the final boss and not finishing it like mm. i'm nervous about where this game goes when you get towards those la- like the final two lords you have to take out or like whatever comes after that like that's I, that's where i'm a little bit iffy i have heard from our reviewer michael mcwhorter at polygon who who handled the review for us so far and i don't think he's finished finished the game but he he said like if you can get past the first boss you can get past the game that's great it is definitely the test and and after that you're going to if you like open world games you are going to make yourself overpowered so that like you should be fine now who knows like when it becomes some you know I don't know, Lovecraftian, you know, intergalactic uh, gore fest. Maybe that's not true, but it made me happy to know I was re- I. Oh, I didn't even talk about the Steam Deck. Oh, damn. I, <laughs> I, I played this. I played like a good chunk of this game on a Steam Deck. Oh, no way. 
And I was able to beat the first of like the you beat a, a very challenge, a very challenging boss. And yeah. then you beat the first of the God. You beat Rick. You beat our, our friend Rick. Yeah. And I beat both of them on a Steam Deck. And it's like, okay, if you can beat this thing on a, like a portable console <laughs> on your first go around, like yeah. it's it's welcoming enough. I don't know if that's like a higher price for Elden Ring or if it's it is for the Steam Deck. The but Steam either Deck. way, like <laughs> it was it was perfectly doable. I actually beat Godric on my like I, I I tried like three or four times one night and then tried again the next morning and beat him on the second shot. Uh, so like yeah, this like supposedly unbeatable boss for a lot of people. As a astrologer, I was just like, nah, <laughs> I, I, I'd rather not. Um, and just took him down. It reminds me of the pacing of Bloodborne, which I would say is my, if Elden Ring sticks the landing, is my second favorite from soft game. Yeah. And I consider Bloodborne like one of my favorite games. But Bloodborne is similar in that there's a skill check boss, Father Gascoigne. And once you beat him, yeah. the rest of the game is kind of more cinematic and it's sort of a crescendo yeah. than it is like, and again, I also love Sekiro. I want to be clear. Sekiro was my, was our runner up for game of the year in 2019, but that game the final boss demands perfection in a way that's not even interesting. Like I was like, I'm not going to feel good after this. I'm just going to feel like, okay, I like I could just YouTube the ending, which is, <laughs> is not something I normally do. Like I usually really want to do it, but I'm like, that's all that's left for me to see is the last like two minutes. Yeah. And I'd rather just save the 300 hours of my life and just see that. But that's also yeah. just like where I was at when I was playing that game. So maybe if I revisit it, I'll feel more determined, but the final boss just felt like it was bordering on ridiculous for me. Yeah. Th- th- these are like the two halves of what could happen with Elden Ring. And I, I, I really hope I really hope it's more towards the Bloodborne end. I, I would honestly be shocked if it wasn't even easier than Bloodborne. Just because so mm. much of the game up until this point wants you to see everything the game has to offer. Yeah. Yes. We're like the Sekiro thing makes sense in the context of Sekiro. Because yeah. the That's whole true. philosophy of Sekiro is like, I don't care. Just learn it. Like it's on you. <laughs> learn it. Yeah. And, and this seems to be like, ah, whatever. Like are you having a nice time? I'm yeah. having a nice time. Go ahead. And I think Margaret as a as a boss and as like a as kind of like a wall kind of skill check boss is is really very very good at teaching you the difference between Elden Ring combat and all of the other ones. Like it, it's very well telegraphed. He's got a big fucking heavy stick. When he swings it, you should probably roll out of the way. If he has his little like dagger made of light, you should use your shield if you have a shield. You know that that stuff is like. I think I think gets ingrained in you by the time you're done fighting Margaret. And from that point on, it's like just kind of fun, which is how I felt about Bloodborne post Father Gascoigne as well. Where like once you get past that first tough boss, like the game is just about experiencing shit. And that's that's a dream. This is so heartbreaking for me because I made it past Father Gascoigne or Mm. however you say his name. And I was like, well, that sucked. And then I turned it off. Oh man! I was like, I was like, man, if that's the first boss, no, thank you. There are other tough bosses in that game, obviously, but Father Gascoigne, I think, is the toughest one because of how much it demands of you in terms of what you've learned about the combat. Anyway, should yeah. we wrap up? We're like so deep in this at this point. <laughs> I want to say one more thing. Sure. If if you if you are gonna play Elden Ring and you're like, there's so many Ashes of War, which one am I gonna choose? I highly recommend Steven's pick 
is determination. Yes. It makes me laugh every time. Yes. Because you strike this pose with your sword. It's like my sword hand twitches and you're like, you're ready to strike. I eat shit every time I use it. Like every time I use determination, it's like right before I get like smacked off a bridge yeah. or whatever. It just adds so much comedy to it. If you do pull it off, great. You'll do more damage. But just the pose itself is the perfect way to like laugh in danger's face yes i use determination for so long until i found a sword that i'm not allowed to use determination on that is like uh, obviously the sword i have to use but determination for real is slapstick comedy in elden ring <laughs> for some reason D- uh, did did you all find the i think they're like called pates but they're potatoes and they make noise no oh yes i found these? two of them yes yes yeah and, and like one of them is like help me and all it does is cry, help me. <laughs> I've not seen that one. Yeah, you, you, you could like hold it above your, it's like a shrunken head you kind of hold above you and then it goes like, hello. It's awesome. <laughs> it's very good. It's yeah. very good. Video games, they're good. Video games. It's a good video game. Chris, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, thank you for coming on to talk about Elden Ring. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Um, where can people find you and your work? Oh, um they can find me at <laughs> www well http colon forward sure. slash www you gotta throw the s in there security is important web security that's true is important. And, and 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 at polygon.com we take care of you yeah okay, so good security is a priority https colon forward slash www.polygon.com nice uh that that is where you will find the website that i run will you find my writing not often because that's not my job anymore <laughs> um uh you will find my steam deck review and it turns out i love it and all these people who are trashing it they're wrong <laughs> you should actually know that I-, I usually am a firm believer of like reviews are subjective except here people who don't like the steam deck are actually wrong and it's like unfortunate they all need to be fired um, you, you and and others but your review sold me and brendan on the steam deck we both yeah. reserved one I'm very excited what I like about my review, sorry to praise myself, but I, try, I try not to do this very often, is that I imagine a world where I like video games and the idea of playing them where I can. Uh, it's a bold idea for reviewing something, and I feel like the negative reviews of it, I'm really just trashing my friends at the bridge right now, I apologize because they actually wrote a really nice review, but they're wrong, <laughs> um, is it like well, this should work exactly as well as a Switch. Like, it should have the exact same battery life, and there should be no problems. Uh, False. When a thing can play thousands of video games that you already own, it's allowed to have a few little inconsistencies here and there in exchange for being able to play the history of video games. Just a wild opinion that I have. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. I'm sorry to get distracted. Polygon.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at plant, but there's an E at the end because uh, my family is French Canadian. Used to be law plant until my grandfather had it beaten out of him by a nun. And uh, the besties, which is a podcast, and the resties, which is bonus episodes of that podcast. I will say I've been enjoying the resties a lot. I really like the resties. We haven't talked Thank since you. you've launched it, but uh, I, I'm. It- it's really great. I, I, I'll be honest, has some very ether vibes. I've had oh, some yeah. people point out, they're like, hey, this is, you're definitely uh, encroaching on that ether territory. <laughs> and I was like, the good thing is we are less consistent, we're shorter, and we're not as good. So, <laughs> like, I if think you it's want wonderful. that, you, you, you can listen to it um, whenever you'd like. The thing about the format of our show is that if you were to try and make it exactly, you never really could because it's all about people. You know, I think I think it's true. 
It's just conversations between two people, and that's going to change depending on who those two people are. And I like the resties. Me too. Oh, that's that's so nice. I, 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 You know what? I like this show, which is why I desperately always want to be on it, but I can only be on it once a year because In otherwise February. I would ruin all the episodes. <laughs> that's true. February is the only time that I'm allowed to be on it. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's really the sweet spot. And as a, as a summon in the Goaty episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I am the go- the jellyfish. That's of, right. Of uh, Into the Ether guest podcast spots. Yeah. Hello, my favorite game was Elden Ring. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I really chickened out last year. I was like, I don't know all the games. It was like, a weird year. You weren't the only one. A lot of the, the people who sent us their pick all had a pretty creative spin on it. Like it was not yeah. like yeah. Hades or whatever. It was like <laughs> my favorite game was the idea of walking. It was like, OK, like very yeah. conceptual picks. Yeah, yeah. Can I also just, I'm, I'm planning it here now, because if I say it here, then it becomes reality. Yes. I'm so excited that next year, for your very special bonus episode that you have not revealed to anybody, and you actually have not agreed upon this and not talked to me about it, uh, that you're going to play all of the Sega Dreamcast games, and then have me on as a special <laughs> guest. That's a great idea, and I'm, I'm glad that you haven't had it yet, but that it's in your head now. Yeah. And that now your listeners are going to be like, that is a great idea. And now they're going to all at reply you being like, wow, Chris had a great idea. <laughs> you have to do this in 2023. Start working on it right now. AJ, do me a favor. Don't cut this out or I will not do a guest appearance on your other show. It has to be in this episode. Thank you, AJ. <laughs> All right. Into the Aether season six season premiere. <laughs> you heard it here first. It's going to be the Dreamcast. We're do- it's Game Boy Advance, then the Nintendo DS, and I guess Dreamcast. Wow. Can't wait to play Shenmue. Dreamcast has been <laughs> on the radar for a while, to yes. be clear. But uh, we'll it was see. The, it was the runner up to the DS. So it's not yeah. a it's, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I love me a thing I can put in my pocket and play on the subway, you know. But when I get the Steam Deck, uh, I can put that in my Jinko jeans pockets uh, and then play that on the subway. Who needs a steam deck? Are you holding an Ein Odin in front of me? That looks cool. Wait, wait, wait. Are you ready for this? Which one would you rather play right now? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the steam deck, because it's like the Ein Odin, but better. But uh, wow. Wow. I mean, it is. They they, they both have their advantage. Yeah, I have both coming though i we've now wow. cleared the steam deck and i i already have an order in for the ein odin from uh, about a month ago I, I will say uh the ein odin so far much easier to use much easier really? to use when it comes to emulation yeah it also has kind of like a switch light energy to the design which i'm very excited about significantly cheaper the controls not as comfortable mm-hmm. but quite good you know yeah. they, they, they both have their different appeals do i think that anybody should own both other than you probably not <laughs> probably not but wow. you, you know you can read more uh more about that on https colon www.polygon.com are you are you reviewing the odin for polygon i'm i'm writing a uh which one is for you guide oh on like emulation handhelds so well well uh, about like the odin the switch your iphone or um or i android i guess in a in a steam deck like which where should you spend your money which which one is it and honestly I, there really is in my opinion like a different answer for like 
each of those. Like, I, I really think there is a case for each of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. This could be a whole different episode of the podcast, Chris. <laughs> uh, honestly, coming back. Honestly, maybe, maybe, maybe. Not you, just February. Yeah. I was just about to say, I, I would actually really <laughs> enjoy having that conversation and maybe we throw it on the Patreon feed or something. That'd be really cool if you wouldn't mind doing I that. I would be very down. I, I, awesome. I would love to do a, a non February episode. Okay. That would be, <laughs> I, I mean, that would be like life changing for me, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. I think listeners of the show know I'm so fucking deep in like the, the retro gaming handheld market and ios and like hacking shit uh so I, I would love to have that conversation that'd be really cool for for you as 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 the mega nerd of, of emulation sorry mega nerd is a, a compliment it's okay i, I, I took it as well <laughs> the, the the pro i think you're going to like it more than the steam deck that's interesting i i think it's really going to be your your sweet spot like yeah. I, I i'm just going off you know i'm very hopeful i yeah i i I, think I can so. play dragon quest 8 on the PlayStation 2, on the Iron Odin, and I'm fucking amped about that. Also, Persona 3, very excited about that, too. I was going to say, it, it was it's surreal to listen to this and, like, remember a few days ago when I had to, like, speak gingerly to my PS2, like, please work. Like, <laughs> I had to talk to it like the maiden who gives you a hug and, and else ring, like, just one more game. It's okay. Um... <laughs> But yeah, one day I'll embrace modern technology. I did get a new TV, so here we are. We've been wrapping up for an hour. Should we do? Yeah, I, I, li I like that uh, in the table of contents for this episode, uh, AJ now is going to have to write like, they wrap up, and then there's going to be another segment, which is like, they wrap yeah. up, but for real, and yeah. it's like another like 12 minutes. <laughs> You're, you're right, Chris. This will be like every episode of the podcast we've done so far. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, my name is uh, Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Thank you so much for listening. Go to IntoTheCast.online for links. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> That's it. If you want to see more, go to Detailed View, press triangle, throw your controller <laughs> underwater, but don't keep it there. You just need it to be wet. Take it out again. Give it to the witch who lives down the street. She's not actually a witch. She just goes by a witch. She's secretly the princess with the blindfold on. Anyway, good luck. It's funny that you mentioned Lynx because I'm more of a tingle man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> see ya. It's amazing tingle isn't in Elden Ring. That's all I want to say goodbye. Thank you for listening. Garbage. The online.